0: You know, we have a, a really rich heritage in Christianity, um, comes through the Jewish tradition. And as I was beginning the process of going through my attempting to read through the Bible in a year, um, I became aware of, of much of that history and, and the heritage of the great fathers of the faith. And that's that's why the sermon is titled The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We've heard that phrase lots of times. But um, so I I thought we'd just kind of do an, an overview of our Christian heritage. And, you know, these are the pillars of the faith for us. Because we have a heritage of the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And so I thought as we we began, we'll we'll start in the first part of Genesis. Uh, Let's go to Genesis 3. This is about Adam, who is likewise one of those pillars. So when the women saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she gave some to her husband who was with her. And he, Wait, I, thought, I, must have had, I must have the wrong verse. Um, sorry. Uh, uh, oh, 11. Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman you gave me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. And then the Lord said to the woman, what is it that you have done? The woman said, "Well, the serpent deceived me, and I ate." That that's that's not much of a pillar of the faith, I don't think. Um, uh, there must be a, a better example. Um, Noah, okay, you know, Noah. He obviously trusted God quite well to build the ark, and Noah. Be and this is in. Genesis uh, 9, and Noah began to be a man of the soil, and he planted a vineyard, Vineyard, and he drank the wine and became drunk and lay uncovered in his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told the two brothers outside. Then Shem and Japheth took the garment, laid it on both of their shoulders, and walked in backwards and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned backwards, and they didn't see their father's nakedness. Uh, there, there's, there's got to be a better example for, for these pillars. I'm sorry, I, 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 I maybe should have gotten some different things. Uh, but Abraham, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and so. Um, In Genesis 12, this is about Abraham. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know you are a beautiful woman in appearance. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Uh, So say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. Well, you know, we can give Abraham one, one little dalliance and 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 opportunity to fail. So, uh, how about if we go a little further down in Genesis? Uh, oh, yeah, and and verse twenty or chapter twenty, verses uh, one and two. From there, Abraham journeyed toward the territory of the Negeb and lived between Kadesh and Shur. And he sojourned to Gerar, and Abraham and Sarah, his wife, Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, she's my sister, and Abimelech, the king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. Um, Doesn't sound terribly encouraging, does it? How about Isaac? Go to Genesis 26. So Isaac settled in Gerar. When the men of the place asked him about his wife, he said, "Uh, she's my sister, for he feared to say she's my wife, thinking lest the men of the place should kill me because of Rebekah, because she was attractive in appearance. Bit of a failure. There must be some, some better examples someplace. Jacob, you know, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Uh, So so he went to his father and he said, My father, here I am. Who are you, my son? And Jacob said to his father, I'm Esau, your firstborn. Wait, no. Jacob, he, he said, I'm Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, How is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? And he answered, Because the Lord your God granted me success. And Isaac said to Jacob, Please come near that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac his father, who felt him and said, The voice is Jacob's, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him, and he said, Are you really my son Esau? And he said, I am. Hmm. Hmm. Well, let's, let's go a little further on. Okay, Let's go to David, all right? Um, David, we know that David is a man after God's own heart, right? We've heard that a lot of times. So he'll be a a better example for us. And it happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful. And David sent and inquired about the woman, and one said, is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? So David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him, and he lay with her. Now she had been purifying herself from her uncleanness, and then he returned, Then she returned to her house. And the woman conceived, and sent, she sent to David and said, I'm pregnant. Hmm. Well... David's got some other things in his life, you know, to be a man after God's own heart. Well, in that same story, it says in verse 14, In the morning David wrote a letter to Jacob and sent it by the hand of Uriah. In the letter he wrote, Set Uriah in the forefront of the hardest fighting and then draw back from him that he may be struck down and die. a great pillar of the faith, right? How about Jonah? Basically, I think we can look at all of Jonah's life. And from what is written, we understand that he is probably the one who wrote it, and so uh, he has a change in his life. But Jonah is hardly an example that we would want to follow, not wanting people to be saved. Well, maybe we'll do better if we look at the New Testament. Okay? Maybe, 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 maybe we just look at some of those Old Testament characters and say they had all kinds of failures and foibles. Um, Peter, okay? and John 18, it says... Uh, Simon Peter and another disciple were following Jesus. And this is, and Kyle preached on this not long ago, this is when they are bringing Christ into uh, the high priest and, and, and they're going to accuse him. Because the disciple was known to the high priest, he went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard but Peter had to wait outside at the door. The, the other disciple who was known to the high priest came back and spoke to the servant girl on duty there and brought Peter in. You aren't one of this man's disciples, are you? she asked Peter. And he replied, I am not. I skip down to verse 25. Meanwhile, Simon Peter was still standing there warming himself, so they asked him, you aren't one of his disciples too, are you? And he denied it, saying, I am not. One of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, challenged him and said, didn't I see you with him in the garden? And again, Peter denied it. And at that moment the rooster crowed. Well if you're familiar with the prediction that Christ had given him, he said you're going to deny me three times. I think that is perhaps I'm not sure, but perhaps the the most devastating um, verse in scripture. Uh, I can't fathom how Peter must have felt. But we can, we, can, uh, we can look at some of the other pillars, and, and we're at least going to get to the point of, of people who, who uh, uh, walked the way they should walk. Paul, well, let's see, when he Saul, he's on the way to, road to Damascus, and um, why was he going there? He was going there to kill... The Jews, so, but you know, but then God changes him, and uh, so we we then find out that uh, uh, Paul and Peter, they have some interactions. These are these are two really good guys, right? Two of the apostles. So Galatians 2 tells us, But when Cephas, Peter, had come to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came back, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like the Jews? So what we have here is Peter was... was eating with the Gentiles, sharing the gospel with the Gentiles. And then when he knew there were a bunch of Jews coming, he said, "Mm, I don't want them to know what I've been doing. So he essentially lied as well, but he lied by doing what he was doing. Is this who we look up to? Is this the foundations of our faith that we find are examples for us that Scripture tells us about? If you look at 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 and 10, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, the idolaters, the adulterers, the men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. Isn't that who we just read about? Isn't, that's the people whose Scripture is, is holding up for us as the pillars of of our faith. And so if, if we want to stop at that point with that verse in Scripture, then I think you could make a case for saying that then what we should do is we should witness to people who are like us. You know? Who who uh, at least give the appearance of being moral, at least give the appearance of, of wanting to have a life that uh, doesn't exemplify some of the things that we read about. right? So is, is, is that what we're called to? Well, let's go back now, and, and we don't have examples with each one of the Old Testament people. But let's go back and look at what transpires and what we're told about them based on Scripture. In Romans 4, verse 22, it says, That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. So his faith was going to be counted as righteousness. So, it's not about how the forefathers lived specifically. It's not about did they make mistakes? Did they sin? Were their lives not always the best examples? But it's what they believed. and so regardless of what you've done or who you were god uses sinful man and credits their faith as righteousness so he didn't save us because we had somehow met a standard or we looked a certain way, or we functioned in a certain way. But in his miraculous grace, he chose us out of our sin to be his possession. He credited to our account Christ's righteousness in the same way that the faith of the Old Testament saints was credited to them. So the Romans 5 passage that Gary read for us, For while we were still weak, at just the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one would scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps For a good person, one would even dare to die. But God shows his love for us, and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God? For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. So it's not about who those Old Testament saints were. It's not about what they had done. It's about who God is and what God has done. What that means is it's not about you. And it's not about what you've done. But it's about God and what He has done. If Dave and Teresa were here today, I would specifically be looking at them for this next little portion because um, I'm sure they are far more familiar with this group than I am, and some of you may be familiar with the group Casting Crowns, okay? They have a song, and the, the words of the song are just delightful, if you really think about it. And in the refrain it says, not because of who I am, but because of what you've done not because of what I've done, but because of who you are. That sums up the whole concept that this is about God and what he has done. So then if we look at uh, a passage like Luke 5, it says, And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Is that how we usually think? Do we really usually think about the fact that, okay, you know, um, I'll tell you, I've, I've had this absolutely delightful opportunity in this church as an elder to sit and listen to multiple of you sitting out here uh, give your testimony when you wanted to join the church. At at times it's been eye-opening. At times it's been a, my goodness, I had no idea. But God chose to call, not to call the righteous, but sinners for repentance. And I think that's something which we frequently lose sight of. We frequently think, like I facetiously said before, that um, we should be witnessing to people who look like us. No. Uh, For one thing, that belies the fact that we have forgotten who we were before we were saved, Uh, even those of us who were saved young. It's it's too bad Wayne's not here this morning because I frequently use he and I as as opposite ends of the spectrum. Wayne gets saved when he's in his 50s. I get saved when I'm a, a little kid. And yet, prior to our salvation we were seen by God exactly the same. And even better, after our salvation, we were seen exactly the same by God. Then if we drop down to John 15, he says, You did not choose me, but I chose you. Or familiar verse in Ephesians for most of us, 2, 8, and 9, for by grace have you been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. I read a passage five, ten minutes ago, and... um, Anybody who is familiar with that passage should have been sitting there and saying, No, wait, 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 finish that passage, okay? Because I stopped right in the middle of the pericope. And that is uh, 1 Corinthians 6. Now we're going to read completely through 9 through 11. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. That's who these Old Testament saints were, but their faith was credited to them as righteousness. That's who we were before God chose to save us, but we were sanctified as well. Why could or would God choose to use these seeming failures that we see in the Old Testament as pillars of the faith? As I thought about that, one of the things I realized was he chose to use them because Jesus was one of a kind. The entire Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, is about the exaltation of Christ, exalting Christ for who he is. And that's why it talks about their faith being credited to them as righteousness. For what shall we say But believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. You ever thought about the fact that Christ is exalted through our? failures? That seems a little unusual, but he is exalted through our failures because he is the propitiation, but also because it shows just how incredibly great our need is. And that need is so great that he could even save a sinner like Dan. And he could even keep a sinner like Dan. So it is entirely because of who Christ is and what he has done. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it says, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. All of that points to the fact that Christ is sufficient. He is sufficient in everything. Old Testament saints, uh, they were... Saved because their faith was credited to them as righteousness. Who was their faith in? If their faith was in God and the law, then they were really saved by their works. So their faith was in the Messiah yet to come so they believed god that in what he was going to do but not because of them attempting imperfectly to keep the law so christ remains the only means of salvation the Old Testament saints that we talked about, they were scoundrels. But Christ's righteousness was sufficient because they had faith in what God was going to do. In John fourteen six, it says, Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That wasn't just written for us as New Testament um, post-resurrection people. That's for the Old Testament saints as well. No one comes to the Father except through the Son. So I have a question for you. Were you rotten before you came to Christ? If you were, he's sufficient. Are you rotten now? Uh, Maybe there's some sitting here who have never come to a personal relationship with Christ. Or maybe, like me, you're a believer but you look into your heart and you still see that you're rotten. If that's the case, Christ is sufficient. A little farther down in John, it says, Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. So now let's go back and read the passage that we've looked at twice already but we're going to make sure we get through the end of it as we did the last time which is or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of god do not be deceived neither sexually immoral nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men of practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God, and such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of God. So no matter who you were, Christ is sufficient. No matter who you are, Christ is sufficient. Regardless of anything, regardless of what happens in the world around us, regardless what happens... Uh, globally, nationally, electorally, anything, no matter what happens, Christ is sufficient. Of all the things that we need to hang our hat on, it's the realization of the sufficiency of Christ. Let's pray. Father... God, we, we just thank you for who you are, for how you function, for how you've put all of these things in place so that we could understand your great love and your grace through the sufficiency of your Son. God, don't allow us to lose sight of that. Don't allow us to to try to find some sufficiency in ourself, but to realize that your Son and what he has done is sufficient for us. And Father, we thank you for that. In his name, amen.